Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. That is my favourite painting in the entire world. I saw it a couple of decades ago in, a, in an exhibition and I was just astounded. I just stopped and looked at this girl. It's Gypsy Girl by Renoir. He's a French painter. We painted it in 1880. And I was just amazed at, um, at the beauty in this girl. And this picture doesn't do it justice at all. I went to the gift shop afterwards. I was very disappointed at what the posters looked like because I thought that's not what the painting looked like. The real painting was amazing, right? And I think I had this, you know, feeling that oh, it was just kind of wonder, you know, and I, I imagine that we've all had that feeling at some point, seeing something beautiful or hearing something amazing. And I, I like to think that that's the feeling that God had when he was creating the world and he, on the sixth day, he looked at everything and said, it's very good. And then he rested and he looked at all the things that he made and he just soaked up the beauty, I imagine, and the amazingness and he'd wondered at it. Um, and if we look at our world, it's pretty wonderful, right? There's some amazing things that we can see. There's some amazing ecosystems. If we take trees for just one example. Imagine, like, there's this thing. It comes from a smallish seed, and then it grows and becomes this huge tree, and it's, and it, um, you know, it's food for, uh, for animals and homes for animals. And even if people walk through trees, we're psychologically refreshed. They're pretty amazing things. They talk to each other under the ground in ways we don't fully understand yet. They're amazing things, right? And that's just trees. And there's so many things in God's creation that we understand and we can wonder about, um, you know, and, and be amazed at. And there's, there's a lot of things we don't understand as well. And that's pretty amazing too, isn't it? It's an amazing creation that God has made. And I like the fact that God had a sense of humour as well. And my proof for the fact that God has a sense of humour is the existence of the blobfish. Don't you think that's hilarious? It just sits on the bottom of the ocean and that's its name, blobfish. So the creation that God has made is pretty great. But um, Rod asked me to talk about climate change today. Um, and it's a pretty, uh, it's a hot topic, isn't it? There's a bit of disagreement out there in certain circles. And so before we start, I wanted to talk about the idea of truth. And as Christians, we're people who are committed to truth. You know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, the truth will set you free. Um, we're committed to truth, right? And we often think about truth of the gospel, truth about Jesus, of course. But we can also think about it in terms of truth about the world. This is the world that God's made, and we want to find out truly what is happening, right? Us Christians should not be afraid of finding out the truth, of anything that's happening in the world. Um, and so this is my first point, that we should fearlessly discover the truth about God's world. That's what Christians should be doing. Um, and I say fearlessly because um, sometimes the truth is very scary. Um, and that needs to be said when we're talking about climate change. So um, can I just have a hands up? Who, who understands the basics of climate science? Not, not the advanced, but the basics. Quite a few people. Great. All right. 
Those people that put their hands up quickly, you feel free to correct me if I say anything wrong. I'm just going to give a crash course for those who don't know. So carbon is one of the things that um, is in all living things, plants and animals. It's one of the things we need to be living things. Um, and of course, we breathe out carbon dioxide. Plants breathe it in. They breathe out oxygen. We breathe that in. We also eat things that have carbon in them, and that helps make up the carbon that's in our bodies. Um, so there's a carbon cycle thing that's happening. That's natural. That's good. That's how God made it. Um, and so if we look in terms of the world, the forests make a lot of carbon and put it up into the atmosphere. They also suck a lot out of the atmosphere. Forests do that. Oceans also do that. Quite a lot of um, the, the numbers there, they represent something. But we humans, <laughs> I won't go into the details, we humans are burning fossil fuels. Now, fossil fuels is coal, are coal, oil and gas. And they come from fossils, like dead plants and animals that have been buried for a long time, and we're digging them up and burning them to create electricity, to you know, oil, to you know, petrol to power our cars, um, and do stuff like that. And so when we make that electricity or or drive our cars, we're putting um, these fossils, fossil fuels, into the atmosphere, generally in the form of carbon dioxide. That's the most um, important greenhouse gas. So I say greenhouse gas, what is a greenhouse gas? This is the greenhouse effect, a basic diagram. Light comes from the sun, light is a form of energy. So whenever energy, light hits the earth, it's giving us energy, right? It heats us up, we know that from days warmer than nights. Um, the carbon and a few other gases in the atmosphere are greenhouse gases, which means that they act as a blanket to keep in some of that energy. A lot of that energy goes back out into space, but some of it is kept in our atmosphere and that keeps us warm. If we didn't have any greenhouse gases, we would be too cold and it would be snowing here all the time, you know. Um, but we do have some and that's good, that keeps us at a nice temperature for us to, you know, farm and to live and stuff. Um, but we're putting more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere ever since the Industrial Revolution, about the time of the, uh, the 1800s. So that's what greenhouse gases do. They make the, warm, the, the world warmer. So if we're putting more up into the air, that's making the world warmer and increasing the thickness of our blanket. Um, so because we've, ever since the Industrial Revolution, we've been putting fossil fuels up into the air, carbon dioxide mainly, and that means that temperatures since then have been increasing. So this is a temperature graph. Um, you can see it was a lot colder in 1850. And then around 1900, early 1900s, it started getting quite warmer. And now you can see in this century, it's significantly warmer. And that's because we're burning fossil fuels and putting them up into the atmosphere. Here's another way to, um, to illustrate that by colors. Obviously, blue is cold, red is hot. It might remind you of some scarves that you might see. Uh, yeah, I'll show you that. Anyway, the basics of this, the fact that carbon dioxide acts like this blanket has been well understood for a number hundreds of years. All these people have studied it and found that carbon dioxide will be warming up um, our atmosphere. You can look more into that, those people if you want. Eunice Foote, she did an experiment where she got um, equal amounts of gases but put more ratio, like more carbon dioxide in some than others and just shone a light on them. And the one, the you know, the containers with more carbon dioxide in them warmed up more than the others, as you would expect. So this, that basic science is very well understood. And we've been measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. 
Um, this is from the station in Hawaii. And you can see in the 1960s, there was about 320 parts per million. So that means if you grab you know, a container of a million particles of whatever's in the air, it's saying that 320 of those particles will be carbon, carbon particles or carbon dioxide. Um, and you can see that the amount of those particles has been increasing steadily until now we're up to about 420, depending on the seasons, of course. When the Northern Hemisphere autumn, the, the leaves drop, the amount of carbon in the air goes up, and when it's spring and they all grow, the amount of carbon goes down. That's why it's a ziggy, uh, zigzag line there. Um, but you can see that the amount of carbon has been increasing, and that correlates with our temperature that's been increasing. And since the Industrial Revolution, the temperature has increased by 1.2 degrees um, then. Now, it's not just temperature measuring that tells us that the climate is changing. There's all sorts of indicators which um, we can see in the world that tell us that the world is warming. For example, um, species are migrating, polewood and upward. So in places where you didn't get dengue mosquitoes now, you might get dengue mosquitoes, for example. Um, spring is coming earlier. The Indian monsoon is changing its course. That's another one. Um, snow cover is receding, glaciers are receding. There's heaps, you can see them there. There's about 26,000 different indicators that scientists have studied. So we're, fairly, we're very sure that the climate is changing and it's because of humans putting fossil fuel into the atmosphere. And another way we can tell it's because of humans is things like this. There's more fossil fuel carbon in trees than there used to be. There's more fossil fuel carbon in coral than there used to be. Um, different patterns of ocean warming, lots of things are telling us that it's humans that are causing these change. So that's just a few of them. Less heat escaping to space, that tells us that the blanket is thicker. That's one of the main ones. And so lots of different people have studied this, what is causing our climate to change. And on the left you can see what different studies, they're the different colours, found what percentage of contribution to this warming humans are having. So you can see these studies have found between 100% and about 170% of the warming that we're seeing is due to humans. And you might say you can't have 170%. You can because all things equal, all the natural factors of variation would indicate that we should have a slight cooling trend now, but we don't. We've got a significant warming trend. So that's that. A lot of people feel like there's a bit of doubt about climate scientists. You might say, well, some scientists say this, some scientists say that. These days, about 67% of normal people say that there is disagreement in, uh, with climate scientists. I think that's about right. But actually, climate um, scientists are at least 97% agreed, if not 100% agreed on the basics of climate change. What they're debating now is the specifics of how fast it's changing and how bad it will be. So, um, yeah, this is scientists are 99.9999% sure humans caused climate change. So there's not really much debate about that in the scientific community. But the question is, if that's happening, how bad is it and what should our reaction be as Christians who love God and who love his world? So, um, Let's see how bad it will be then. So, heat waves may mean Sydney is too hot for people to live within decades. Do you remember the day when Penrith hit 48 degrees? And do you remember the fact that that had not happened before? Like that was new? 
That will probably happen again and it will probably be worse. And it could come a time quite quickly when if you don't have air conditioning, that Sydney and Penrith is unlivable. They're projecting that billions of people are projected to suffer unlivable heat by 2070. Already in India and New Delhi, there's days where the pavement melts because it's so hot and there are poor people there and many of them die because it's just too hot. If, if the world warms one more degree, at every degree, it's about a billion people, depending on population, who will be in places where it's unlivable if you don't have artificial cooling. Um, and I, I say a billion, it's easy to say, but a billion is a big number. You know, if, you, if one second, if you count a million seconds, that takes about 11 days to count. A billion seconds takes about 31 years to count. We're talking about a lot of people, like amount of people we can't you know, even imagine. So heat waves, that's one of the things that happens because of climate change. Um, oh yeah, and we might think, well, the world has warmed 1.2 degrees since, you know, since um, the Industrial Revolution. That doesn't sound too bad. Doesn't that mean a 30 degree day is a 31 degree day? No, it doesn't. It actually means that things are more extreme. So another example of that is that hurricanes will be more extreme because warmer air holds more water and the oceans are more warm also. Actually, about 90% of the extra energy that's going into our system goes into the oceans because they keep it so well, right? And, um, and there's a lot of ocean. Um, but that means that hurricanes will be worse. Um, in this is uh, tropical cyclone Winston. They're saying in Fiji now they just expect all of the cyclones to be category five cyclones, which was the worst category. Um, but imagine all the damage that that would cause and the refugees, apart from the sea level rise, which we saw earlier, there's extra hurricanes in the Pacific as well, or cyclones in the Pacific. Flooding will be worse because glaciers are melting, because rain is just heavier because hot air holds more water. And this is even true um, below freezing. If it's slightly warmer, the air holds more water. And so snowstorms will be worse because of climate change. That doesn't really make sense, but that's actually what's happening. So flooding, this is uh, a picture from a friend who took it in um, Calcutta, just near where we used to live. Wildfires, bushfires, right? We all remember the last bushfire season, not the last one, the one before. That was pretty bad, right? This is a a graph of the top 20 largest California wildfires and the slice of the pie that they take is how big they were, how many um, acres they burned. So you can see from 1932 to 1999 there was three that come in the top 20 and that takes about a twelfth of the pie, like from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock. Then from 2000 to 2019 there was quite a few and they take a slice of the pie which is about half of the pie. But then the wildfires just in 2020 take up the rest of it, which is almost another half. And so wildfires, bushfires, are getting worse because of climate change. And that's what people in New South Wales said when they analysed the recent fires. They said, yes, climate change was one of the contributors to the fires. Um, yeah. So imagine all these things, they're getting worse. Climate change is loading the dice of extreme weather events against us. And so if all these things are happening much more often, in Bangladesh, the one in a hundred year floods are happening once every three years. In Texas, they were saying once the um, one in 500 year floods are happening every 24 years. This is going to cause anxiety. This is going to cause problems for people. This is going to cause death and destruction. 
And this is causing a lot of refugees too. And so I always say, if you care about refugees, you care about climate change. If you care about mental health, especially of the young people, you care about climate change. Um, you, might, you might find that many young people are fairly apathetic about climate change. And it's not because they don't think it's happening, it's because they don't see it being fixed and like, what can I do? And so it's a, it's a psychological protective mechanism just to say, oh, I don't care, I can't, you know, I can't do anything about it and my government's not doing anything about it. What can I do? You know, you just, it's, you protect yourself to ignore, uh, to ignore it, right? Um, if you care about food production, you care about climate change because as the climate gets more unstable, which is what we're heading towards if we keep going the direction we're going, um, food production will become um, less easy in many places of the world. Um, so is climate change bad? Um, yes, it's bad. We're looking down the barrel of quite a, a bad thing. I think of my friends in, um, in Bangladesh who are thinking they, they have to move their office because the sea is rising in the delta of Bangladesh. And that's just one example of one person we're talking about billions. So yes, it's bad. But we have an opportunity here as Christians, firstly to love our neighbour um, with how we use fossil fuels. So number one, we can do our part not to make it worse for people. So um, do you guys know how you use fossil fuels? Yes, we talked about this before. Driving a car uses fossil fuels. Using power in your home often uses fossil fuels, but not always. It can be using renewable energy. So there's ways that you can calculate your own carbon footprint and you find out how many tonnes of carbon that you're putting into the atmosphere every year. In Australia, it's about 21 tonnes per person. In India, it's about one tonne per person. And we need to reduce it back down to about that level um, to not see the, the very dire um, results of climate change. How else do we use fossil fuels? Well, by buying things, because stuff needs power to be made, stuff needs power to be transported. So it's a lot more ecologically um, helpful to buy used things or to buy local and things like that. Um, how else are we using fossil fuels? Our taxes might be going somewhere to support fossil fuels. Our bank accounts might be um, invested. So if we, depends on what bank we're with, some banks still invest in coal-fired power stations and help them get off the ground. And so if our money is in that bank, our money is helping to do that. So loving our neighbour means things like just only use a car when you need to. Walk if you can, um, you know, ride your bike if you can, carpool, buy secondhand things, buy less, switch to green renewable energy. That's one of the easiest ways we can do it. And if you have the money, it does cost a little bit extra. If you have the money, that's a very easy thing to do. Um, we can lobby our politicians, whatever political party you support, lobby your politicians to care about this issue and say, look, I vote for you and I care about this issue. And maybe consider not voting for them if they don't listen or if they don't have good climate policies. Um, what else? We can switch our superannuation. We, all, we have a lot of money in superannuation, right? Where are they investing that money? It's good to find that out and to only, um, yeah, not, not put your money in... Um, investing in climate unfriendly activities. Um, you can think about your workplace also. In, um, Matt and I work for an NGO and I'm on their creation care task force. So we're thinking seriously about how we can um, we cannot hurt God's creation and hurt the people that we're trying to serve. 
You know, so one of the main ways that we do that in our organisation is all the flights that we take. So we're trying to think about how can we reduce the number of flights that we need to take while still doing the work that we're doing. And Zoom, of course, is a great benefit to that. And there's other things we're thinking about as well. Um, many of you know the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? There's a, a half-dead man on the road and two people pass by and don't do anything. But the Samaritan, he stops and helps, right? And we're told that we're supposed to be like the Good Samaritan. But I think in... If we're thinking about climate change and if we think about our society in general, our society has not been the Good Samaritan. We've been the robber. We're the one who's beating the people who, have, who are living in these places where, um, where climate change is, is affecting them most. Um, so we need to repent of that and try to help in whatever ways we can. So that's one thing. Uh, another objection that people might, you might have heard is uh, why should a Christian be concerned about the environment, right? Shouldn't we be saving souls? Um, isn't, is doing environmental work really the work of the church? Hands up if you've heard that said before by someone. Yes, a lot of us have. Uh, there's a quote by Mark Driscoll. Um, in, he said back in 2013, he said, I know who made the environment and he's coming back and he's going to burn it all up, referring to 2 Peter 3. Um, so, yes, I drive an SUV, which is a gas-guzzling vehicle. Um, yeah, some of us don't think that's a great thing to think. And he did get a lot of pushback for that, but it's the sort of thing that people um, might think. Um, and there's a debate about what exactly is going to happen in the end times. You know, I think God is going to renew this creation, but some people might say, no, he's going to destroy it and make a new creation. Um, but even if you think that second one, that he's going to destroy it and make a new creation, it still doesn't make sense that we can destroy this creation. And the reason why is because of Jesus. Um, we read a passage which was just about one of the healings of Jesus, right? And it talked about, um, it's, it talked about that that was one of his signs. Um, and in John, that there's a lot of signs. There's the wedding at Cana where he turned water into wine. There's the feeding the 5,000, the walking on water. There's some other healings. And there's the raising of Lazarus, and they're all signs. Um, and if you think about what is a sign, what does a sign mean? A sign always points you to something. And so if we say, well, why did Jesus heal people? Why did he raise Lazarus from the dead? Why did he do these things? Yes, partly because he had compassion on them, and it was a good thing to do. And so we should also do like that. Yes, partly because he wanted to show who he was and that he had the power to do things but partly also that he wanted to show what the new creation was like. The new creation is a place where people don't get sick. The new creation is a people where the dead are raised and death is no more, right? That's what the new creation is like. And so when people say, why should I care for the environment when it's not going to last? It's kind of like saying, well, why should Jesus heal people? They won't last, right? That's not, <laughs> that's not a, a thing we think. That's not right. Um, we heal people because of those reasons I said. Jesus healed people and we you know, try to do good to people for all those different reasons. So um, in a time of climate crisis, we have the same opportunity just like Jesus did. We can do what we can to improve people's lives now. We can do what we can to show that we have compassion and by doing that to show that Jesus has compassion on all these people. Um, and we can point to Jesus and we can point to the new creation that we know is coming, right? We have this hope. So one way, one way we can do that is to wear these climate scarves or to do some other similar creative action to show that we Christians care about um, 
about climate. This is one that Jan made. You made it, right? Yeah, and it just has the, the range of temperatures from 1919 to 2019. You can see it's getting hotter. You can wear it, and it can be a talking point, and you can say, well, I care because Jesus cares about this sort of stuff. Incidentally, this last blue year, this is the year I was born, and it's the last below-average um, year that we've seen. So I've not seen, apart from when I was a baby, a cool, cooler-than-average year. And in fact, every single consecutive months, month for the past 400 and something months have been above average temperatures compared to the 20, 20th century average. So if you're younger than 36, you've never seen a below average temperature year, globally speaking. So um, you can wear this scarf and talk about that and talk about um, the hope that you have. You know, um, I, I talk to a number of secular um, climate activist type people, right? And one of the themes that goes around is grief and loss and anxiety and guilt because, you know, they've done something to contribute it. Maybe, you know, a, a guy who's worked with, a, in a, with an oil company realises climate change is an issue and thinks, what have I done with the last 40 years of my life? You know, there's a lot of guilt going around. Um, grief, loss, anxiety, guilt... They're all kind of spiritual words, aren't they? And they're all words that we Christians know how to deal with, don't you? Don't we? Um, there's a book by George Marshall. It's called Don't Even Think About It, Why Our Brains Are Wired to Ignore Climate Change. Very interesting book. And in one of the chapters, he says that there's a lot that environmentalists can learn from the church because we have resources to help people deal with grief and with guilt and with anger, you know, there's a lot of anger going around out there. We have a community of people that can help us. We have Jesus' good news that talks about how to forgive. We have the Holy Spirit that empowers us to forgive. We have the hope of the new creation, which, um, which is wonderful news, right? It's, isn't, it, isn't it amazing? And I think a lot of secular environmental people don't actually understand what, what our hope is. They think it's a pie-in-the-sky-heaven type deal and that doesn't interest them at all. But if they knew it was a, full, a fully beautiful, functioning new creation like the one we've got now but even better, I think they might be interested. So the church has resources for helping people deal with all that grief and loss. And we've got a real opportunity to witness to people here because a large majority of people in our culture are concerned about climate change and we've got a real opportunity to witness to them. So um, my encouragement to you is if you don't know much about climate change, um, be informed. I've got some resources here that you can look into further. There's a great website, skepticalscience.com. It's run by a Christian guy, John Cook, and he lists all... He's got a lot of stuff on that website, but he lists the climate myths that you hear people say, and he gives explanations as to why they're wrong, and he gives simple, intermediate, and advanced explanations. So if you, it, it helps people understand why those myths that you hear are wrong. If you have realised that your carbon footprint is higher than it should be, maybe reduce it to show love to our neighbours, to our neighbours in Penrith, to our neighbours in the Pacific, to our neighbours in Bangladesh... Um, and if you're doing those in things, I would encourage you to get to know non-Christians, or you probably do, talk to non-Christians who are concerned about climate change um, and encourage them with the hope that we have. And let your actions, when we're caring for the world, be like those of Jesus, that 
are signs that point to the hope that we have of the new creation. So I just want to um, finish with a prayer that... Um, oh, I didn't go through all these, did I? Um, second one is Catherine Hayhoe. She is an evangelical, also a climate scientist, and um, she's done some great work. She's got a website, but particularly her Global Weirding series is great to watch on YouTube. And, of course, Common Grace and Tear both do good work in terms of the climate. And um, I want to pray a prayer that is from Common Grace. Um, yeah, I'll close with this prayer. Dear Lord, for every good gift in creation... For all of creation's diversity and dignity and glory, we give you thanks. For threatened species and habitats for all creatures on the brink, we ask for your grace and protection. For seeking to live without limits and failing to see how our lives affect all in the community of creation, we ask your forgiveness and correction. For the beauty and diversity of the family of faith, we give you thanks. For all who struggle and are weary and who are anxious, who suffer and who are oppressed, we ask, we ask for your grace and protection. For the indifference or ignorance or busyness that stops us responding with mercy and justice to our brothers and sisters in need, we ask for your forgiveness and correction. For every opportunity to do good, to share abundantly and to live more in tune with your wholehearted hospitality, we give you thanks. When we are worn down, tired out or broken apart by the weight of our own struggles and failures, we ask your grace and protection. For the times when we do not heed your call to walk the road of discipleship with your son Jesus, we ask your forgiveness and correction. Lord Jesus Christ, God, our loving Father, Holy Spirit, through grace you have given us eternal comfort and hope. Comfort our hearts and strengthen them in every good work and with every good word. Amen. So I encourage you to talk about that. That's one thing that Catherine Hayhoe says we can do is to keep talking about it. So I encourage you to keep talking.